0: You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good.
1: Welcome, friends. We are so excited that you've joined us tonight. We've got a lot to talk about and are excited to do that. But before we do that, let me pray. Our Father, thank you, God, that you are gracious, that you are merciful, that you are slow to anger, that you are abounding in steadfast love. God, we thank you that you have demonstrated through your word and through our lives faithfulness that is difficult for us to understand. It's difficult for me to understand, God. God, you tell us in your word that you are with your people, that you're with your church, that you love the bride. And God, we're so grateful, so grateful that your consistent action has been to uh, keep your promises, has been faithfulness towards us, God. So Father, in the time to come, I pray that you would demonstrate that to us in our hearts, that you would reveal to us the ways that you are working in our midst. Lord, we don't know. We don't know some of the ways you're working. It's hard for me to understand, but God, we trust you. You are inviting us to trust you. Holy Spirit, come. Open our eyes, unlock our ears, open our hearts as we would look to your word this evening. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Again, thanks for being here tonight. We are excited. To talk talk together we've called this evening a family meeting because it is a significant moment in our church the last 18 months it's no secret has been challenging for many on many levels for many different reasons you feel that in your life disoriented things changing all around you like the like the the footing on which you're standing is moving You feel it here, we feel it here, and we want to acknowledge that together. There are all kinds of difficulties associated with COVID and its effects that have changed the church. And that's in addition to all the significant change that's been happening and suffering and and challenges that have been going on in individual lives over the last year and a half but I want to be really really clear make no mistake friends one of the reasons we're here talking tonight is because we want to acknowledge and say to everyone we are not the same church we were in March 2020 we're not the same tonight represents the beginning of a new chapter in the life of Mercy View in the next 40 minutes we're gonna be talking about where we've been where we are and by God's grace where we're going. George, we think the future is bright. We think God is at work in our midst, and we want to move toward where we think he's taking us, where he's showing us together. To be clear, tonight is a rallying point for us. Friends, there's great urgency concerning where we are and where we need to go. Our world is changing Our culture is changing, and as a church, we have to respond appropriately and change in certain areas too. Now, we don't have time to go into all the details of of all of that, but what we want to do is set direction. We want to open the door to where we're going. And we pray that the Lord would, would, would come and be in our midst together as we talk about where we've been, where we are and where we're going. Before we jump into our talks, let me pray for us. Father, you are good. You are good, you are faithful, and you are with us. God, open our eyes to the promises that you make to your church in the in the word. Stir our affections for you in this time and in the days to come. Lord, we need you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.
0: Good evening, Mercy View. As we begin tonight and we talk about where we've been, as Ryan mentioned, where we are and where we're headed, I want to begin tonight by talking about faithfulness. First, I want us to look at Psalm 37, 1 through 7. It says this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The interesting thing about Psalm 37 is that it reads a lot like a collection of Proverbs. Its purpose is to provide wisdom, and it's doing so in the context of lament. It's written in a time of affliction, and the psalm is offering advice on how to cope in the midst of it all. As we look back on the last year and a half, I feel we can all relate to that in some way, right? Politics, racial divide, a pandemic, and complete polarization Of every opinion on all sides. The culture around us is fractured and and sadly we've allowed so much of that to creep into the church. So as we look at the beginning of this psalm we see in verses 1 and 2 that there's a command not to be overly concerned about the current difficult situation. It's not that it's not important but it's not the most important thing. God's Word reminds us that all of life is a vapor, and so the current evil that the trial itself is fleeting as well. There's something greater than whatever it is pressing on us. So now, in verses three through seven, we see instructions on how to re- we relate to relate to God in the midst of these trying times, and really, I think to relate to each other in these times as well. And I want us to look specifically at verse three. It says trust in the Lord and do good dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness what does it mean to befriend faithfulness faithfulness is important to us as believers our life depends entirely on God's faithfulness to us in Jesus and when when we describe someone as faithful we're describing not not how much faith they have but how much faith we can place in them as they do what they've promised to do. Faithfulness for us is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Faithfulness here is steadfastness and affection. It's, it's constancy. It's holding a conviction that, that what God said in his word is worthy. And David tells us here to befriend faithfulness. If you have a version of the Bible other than the ESV, you might be scratching your head. right? The, the New King James says, feed on his faithfulness.
1: Mm.
0: The esv says, cultivate faithfulness. The NIV says, enjoy safe pasture. Mm. Translation can be difficult because the word David used has broad meaning. It's agricultural, but it has broad meaning. It can mean to feed or to graze, but also to shepherd, to protect or to nourish. So picture with me a field where cattle or sheep are grazing. What are they doing? They linger. They slowly feed and nourish themselves and build themselves up. Over time, doing that day after day, they grow. Maybe a better analogy for us would be exercise or education. Over time, through consistent work and overcoming struggles and limitations, our bodies and our minds get stronger. Befriending or cultivating faithfulness is the same. The way we become more faithful is to be faithful. And the best place to begin is where you are right now. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. You're part of a local body in Mercy View. There are people and responsibilities in front of you here and now. This is the land where he wants you to dwell. These are the people... with whom he wants us to do good. This is the place for us to befriend faithfulness. And so for for many of you here tonight, for so many of you, whether you're here tonight with us live or or, or online, uh, that's exactly what you've done. The last year and a half or so has looked different, but you've maintained a faithful presence here. As we move forward, you're needed even more. In the context of faithfulness tonight, I want us to talk about about the reality of where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. So in 2020, pre-COVID, we had 11 missional communities at Mercy View. In our gathering, what we're doing here now, we had 100, we were averaging, just before the, the pandemic hit, we were averaging 187 in our worship gatherings, as 157, six and over, 30 in Mercy View Kids, five and under. We were beginning regularly to top 200 in attendance week to week. We were meeting at Wilson, if many of you may remember, we were meeting at Wilson. We're doing full setup and tear down each week. Uh, we had Mercy View kids. We, had, we, we provided for babies up through elementary school age. Uh, Mercy View youth had just begun meeting for the first time on a monthly basis. We had our first youth group, basically. And then COVID hit. On March 15th, we shut down our gathering in response. Thankfully, we had a live stream already, and we were made, able to immediately shift to that. Our MCs transitioned quickly to Zoom. There was a lot of Zoom, and then a lot of creative forms of meeting outdoors and, and different things like that. On July 5th, we we were just sensing that we need to be together again. And as as July 5th came around, we we began outdoor worship. We had our first outdoor worship gathering just down the road. We felt the need to be able to see one another again. And over that summer, we averaged, best we can guess, around 60. So we went from 157 over 6, 187 total, to 60 as we moved outdoors. And then in October, October 18th, we held our first service here. In memorial, and by the first of this year, we were averaging around 80 in the worship gathering. Here's some encouraging news, though. Throughout 2020, as 2020, we we averaged $30,400 a month giving throughout 2020, and so that's that's on par with what our budget was. It's what we what we needed. We thought to operate. And the beautiful thing is giving remained unfazed throughout the year. And so you were faithful in your giving, even though the world was in some ways turned upside down. I'm thankful for mercy of you that have always been able to stand here and say that about you. So that's where we've been. Where are we now? Well, we still have nine missional communities up and running. Some of those are... Are getting pretty big, so there's room to grow. Our gatherings here and now, we're averaging about 105 total on average, uh, 89 six and over, 16 five and under. So if you do the math, we're running 56% of where we are total, where we were, Little over 50% of Mercy View kids as well. So we're just over half of where we were. Ryan mentioned that we're not the same church. And in that way, we're definitely, it's, it's certainly true. We're, we're running half of what we were before COVID. Mercy View kids, we're, we currently have classes for babies through five, I believe. And so we don't have elementary age at this point. Effectively, we're where we were in early 2015. So we're, we're, from an attendance standpoint, we're where we were six years ago. 15 families or households have left Mercy View over the last 18 months. We've had a few other families that we haven't seen regularly and the elders have pursued them and had conversations to kind of see and make sure where everyone is. So we're pursuing those folks. The giving by God's grace has remained, remained steadfast. We're consistent, we're averaging 31,000 plus a month, month over month throughout this, throughout this year. And so we've remained faithful there. So that's where we've been It's that's where we are. Where are we going? So we spent much of the last 18 months in reactive mode. It's time for us to become proactive as we look about and and, and kind of try to figure out how we want to move forward. It's important to remember, I think, that we're a 10-year-old church. When we consider that we're in some ways back to where we were six years ago, we need to remember that it's going to take some time rebuild to get back to that level but there's a lot to be excited about continued continued faithfulness is going to be essential so to look at kind of where we're going we've just ordained two new elders these guys behind me John's gonna be pastor over care and counsel continuing to expand our soul care ministry here at Mercy View Ryan will be pastor for spiritual formation. He's going to be able to expand and focus more on everything related to discipleship, prayer, training, and equipping. Doing more of what he's already been doing so well. We're shifting our MC oversight to get more elders more deeply involved in the lives of our MC leaders and the missional communities they oversee. We have a desire to see Mercy View kids expand and grow. Along with the challenges of COVID, there have been changes in leadership in that leadership team over the last year. We're talking now about next steps. We've just purchased a new curriculum. We're excited about that as we move forward. Expanding though, is gonna require volunteers. We're gonna need people to volunteer as we expand those classes. Mercy View Youth is starting again next month. We still have a desire to pursue sustained ministry in North Tulsa. You may remember us talking some about that. Some of you were involved in a a project uh, with Crossover Bible earlier this year. Um, We still want to pursue that. That includes potential partnership with Crossover as well as exploring partnerships with a couple of other churches on the north side. So that's something very much we still wanna do and are in the process of pursuing. Your consistent giving has put us in a great position to actively pursue these and other new ministry opportunities. And finally, a question I think on a lot of your minds. Some have asked us about a future location. We know that the 5 p.m. worship time also presents unique challenges. So the reality there is that, first of all, we're thankful to Memorial for providing this this space and for giving giving us a place to to, to utilize and and grow. Um, But the reality is that while your faithfulness and giving has been absolutely amazing, in the current market, purchasing our own space, it's gonna require more. The previous situation we had at Wilson was difficult. It was expensive for, such, for such, such limited use. We had that space for just a couple of hours. And the volunteer requirements for set up and tear down along with Mercy View Kids were hard to sustain. So where does that leave us? Well, we're keeping our eyes and our ears open for possibilities. We're going to pursue potential spaces as we, as we find out about them, as we hear about them. We want to let, look into those things. Um, and we're going to need your eyes and ears. We welcome your ideas as it relates to that as well. Ultimately, we need your continued faithfulness in presence, your faithfulness in service, and your faithfulness in giving.
2: I'm gonna talk for just really about 10 minutes about our need to gather. I've got five things I'm gonna mention today. Uh, John did just mention some of the losses over the last 18 months, and it's an important thing for us to do. Before I talk about the different ways that we're gonna gather and the things we need to remember, I wanna talk for just a minute about the live stream. The history of the Mercy View live stream predates COVID. The live stream was provided to for that rare Sunday when someone was sick and they were staying home. And and the idea was then they could see the weekly service. And the thought was that the technology would allow that person in their moment of need to still stay connected for that one given Sunday. And that's what it did. We're grateful for that technology. And when COVID came along, the live stream became an absolute asset. Uh, The thing is, we failed to realize what a stumbling block the live stream could be for folks that were unaware of the subtle danger. We know now that the live stream became an unsuspecting vehicle to help carry some people away from their primary connection to the church, that is the Sunday gathering. And sadly, this is not anything that's really unique to Mercy View. In many churches around the country, people who had once attended faithfully in person Have been kind of lured into swapping true real-time interaction with the local body for a virtual or small screen connection. And to be perfectly clear, I'm not talking about the people who are who are really COVID-weary and those folks who have pre-existing health conditions that mean that them coming to a large group of of gathered people is not necessarily a safe thing. We're grateful for the live stream for every person who's needed to use that for that reason. So if someone in your family is high risk, we understand it. But those people, many of those people have told us that what they desire more than anything else is to be reunited with the group, to get back to that face-to-face connection. And we would want them and everyone else to know that that's what our desire is is for them as well. So really, when I talk about the downside of the live stream, I'm talking about people that really didn't have any true COVID concerns. But again, there's that subtle lie that attending in person and watching a screen are somehow the same thing. So going forward, we just want to say the live stream or Zoom at our church or at any church, for that matter, was never, ever meant to be a long term replacement for attending in person. Think about that. The live stream, it's very beneficial in a few situations in a few seasons, but it only provides this dim shadow of the real life encounter with God that we receive when we gather with other believers. In hindsight, it seems as though a clear warning was needed involving how to safely utilize the live stream. Warnings that come included with power tools that are somewhat dangerous, or even household chemicals. They are good things. They really are good things. But only when they were used as intended. So the small screen, it might make a person think that they're experiencing real community, but all it really offers over time is the possible avenue towards what came to mind for me was spiritual atrophy. And this must become our collective conviction going forward. Last word on this topic, the live stream and Zoom as well. It can be a valuable lifeline for those who are quarantined, but to others it can be a dangerous stumbling block for those who might fall prey to the lie and the deception. Real community over time cannot be experienced through a device. Second, there's a common and time, timeless temptation for believers to minimize the value of gathering together. And there's a passage that points that out to us. Uh, I wanna look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. There it is right up there. let us I'll read this, but you can follow along. It says and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near so the ESV uses the phrase neglecting to meet together i grew up reading the NIV it says giving up meeting together the new king james gives us another word or another phrase that said not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together Take your pick, whichever one you like. All three say the exact same thing to me. We know that at other times, in other places, even in other centuries, believers have been tempted to discount or devalue the power and the importance of the gathered church. And what, is the, what does the author of Hebrews say? Don't do it. Don't do it. And the passage also begs another question that's important. How can I encourage one another or exhort one another if we're not actually together? How can I practice any of the one another's if we rarely meet up in person? Not gathering makes it nearly impossible. Third, we gather in the midst of real opposition. We have an enemy that opposes everything that is good. The evil one would like nothing more than to scatter this church and to see it die one day. He hates this church. All the more reason we band together and we find strength in numbers. Another enemy is whatever stands between you and me and any regular gathering. Think about this. Maybe for you, an enemy might be the fact that the National Football League plays games all day on a Sunday like today. Or the enemy could be the momentary ease of not having to get the kids ready and mobilize one more Sunday, because it is work, we know that. Or the temptation to turn Sunday into another Saturday and just do the next day of recreation or the next DIY project at the house. It's tempting, but those things at that moment can become an enemy of any gathering. Consumerism is an enemy as well. If I ever find myself debating about attending in person based on who is or isn't preaching or who is or isn't leading worship, or any other consumer's view, and I clearly don't understand how God works amongst his people. Our culture is very comfortable with a what's in it for me mentality for everything that we do with our time. But inside the church, that view, it has to be cast off. I could name a lot more potential enemies. But the idea is this, whatever stands between me and gathering has to be seen as the enemy that it is, and then we push back with all the power of what it means to be in Christ. Let me add the fourth thing. We understand gathering is costly. It takes effort. It takes planning time. It even takes some discipline. It doesn't matter whether it's the MC or the D group or Sundays here at five. The question cannot be left as, well, is the day and time convenient for me? Truthfully, I don't know if convenience can have anything to do with it. I feel the pull of these lesser things and I see the cravings of my own flesh for a little bit more sleep or a smidge more comfort. And the truth is, I know, my flesh can't be in charge, and neither can yours. Some weekday mornings, my alarm goes off at 5 a.m. so that I can meet guys one-on-one before work. And I really enjoy it. I know that there's great fruit from it. But you know what doesn't really ever enter into my mind? Whether or not it's convenient. I mean, at 5 a.m., what do we all wanna be doing? Just sleep a little bit more, sure, we understand that. But the cost is worth it. For where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I with them. Just two is all it takes for that. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. And then Ecclesiastes 4 goes on and it says three are better than two. The cost is small when we consider eternity. Last, it is the bedrock conviction of this team standing up here that for you and I, for all of us to grow and thrive in the Christian life, we must gather. We must gather in twos and threes. We must gather in small groups. We must gather in large groups. We gather to pray for each other. We gather to worship. We gather to hear the word preached. We must gather to encourage and to be of encouragement to someone else. In every venue, we gather to enter the very presence of God. The life of the faithful follower in both testaments was that of gathered people. And scripture informs this gathering. It's face to face, side by side community. God made us a body. He put all the parts together in the proper place. He gave us spiritual gifts to use for his glory. But we have to gather to use them. We gather to harness the power and the benefit from that amazingly intelligent design. Last thing I'll say. The body of Christ is a living, breathing organism. And by grace, you and I are members. We must gather safely. We must gather wisely. But we must gather. How
1: are we doing? a few months ago i was uh, i read an adaptation of pilgrim's progress john bunyan's pilgrim's progress called a dangerous journey to my oldest son benai now if you're unfamiliar with pilgrim's progress it's an allegory for the christian life it follows a man named christian who comes to faith in in god in the city of destruction and over the course of hundreds of pages in the pilgrim's progress he weaves along the long road along the long journey to the celestial city, to be with, to be with the Lord. Now along the way, Christian is assailed by all types of adversaries and enemies. There are characters representing the culture who mock and ridicule him, who shame him. There are spiritual enemies along the road that try to kill him and almost succeed. There are the the pleasures of the city of Vanity Fair that call to pilgrims, that call to Christian uh, for a life of comfort and ease. Bunyan's insight into the long walk of the Christian faith following Jesus is spectacular. It's stunning. Consider that it was published 350 years ago, but it speaks with razor-sharp clarity to us. To you. Like Christian in the story, if you follow Christ, there will come a time when you're mocked and ridiculed. The forces of darkness are actually opposed to you. The world and all of its pleasures will tempt you to walk away, to abandon Jesus for comfort, for ease. But Bunyan's insights don't only, don't only shed light on the difficulties associated with the Christian life. He demonstrates over and over again how God is faithful to, to, for helping Christian along his path. He shows that God works to preserve his people in the story through sending traveling companions. Characters like evangelist or faithful or hopeful in the story provide great Uh, insight and inspire Christian during the difficult stretches along the road. They help him endure on this long journey. And the point is that that God provided for Christian knowing that he would need endurance. The road is long. It is anything but easy. And friends, if, if you are a Christian here tonight, make no mistake, you are on a dangerous journey. You are on a dangerous journey where enemies and adversaries abound. Like the author of Hebrews said, you will need endurance. Hebrews 10.36 is that text. We'll stay there for our time. You will need endurance. You will need it. It's always been true in the Christian life, but I would make the suggestion to you that it's becoming more obvious More clear in our culture, as it becomes more hostile to God, you will need endurance. Now in the story, some adversaries are easier to identify than others. And that's also true in your life. So for just a couple of minutes, let's think about together what might be an adversary, an enemy that is going to try to pull me off of the long road. It's going to try to inhibit endurance instead of forwarding it like the Lord is doing. A couple of things here. Intentional distractions. Intentional distractions. The deluge of distractions in the culture is not an accident. It didn't just happen. In Bunyan's world, it's a lot like the city of Vanity Fair, constantly calling, tempting the pilgrims along the road, Hey, sit down. Hey, stay comfortable. Hey, why would you go back out there? It's cold. It's dark. There are enemies. Stay here. It's safe. Tempting them to to ease and comfort and even self-worship. We've got to be honest. The reason that Vanity Fair, the reason that the world is tempting is because we are attracted to all of those things. All of them if they weren't attractive like what would we even be talking about not this something else they are alluring that is the point but god has provided you with help along the way you will need endurance hebrews 10:36 he's provided you with companions like he provided christian now in your life the church is one of those means of god providing for you look around Look around. These are the fellow pilgrims, the fellow Christians, travelers that God has given you. Together, as a church, we can endure all kinds of things that alone you can't endure. God has provided fellow travelers to inspire faithfulness. To instill hope and to help one another endure by rejecting the world, by rejecting the the constant flow of intentional distractions that are coming your way. In fact, one commentator suggests that the term endurance, when we find it in the New Testament, is actually a form of passive, not, not passive, not passive, active resistance to the dominant culture. Active resistance. Another adversary, brokenness in the church, brokenness in the church. Now, you know, life walking on the path together is not easy. It's not easy. There are all kinds of opportunities for hurt, for pain, for mistrust, for disappointment, for believing the worst in others, for allowing cynicism to take over, For brokenness to actually turn into resentfulness and bitterness? So many opportunities for the family of God to be splintered. And if you've experienced some type of relational hurt, loss here, if the prospect of rebuilding relationships or reconciling relationships sounds exhausting to you, if you wonder if life in the church is even worth it at all, I see you. And I understand because those questions, those thoughts run through my mind, sometimes daily. But here again is where the author of Hebrews instructs us, you will need endurance. In other words, it would be easier in the face of brokenness and specifically brokenness here to hit eject, to quit, to give up, to move on. I want to suggest to you that in this place, this is where endurance, this theme, and faith intersect. The Lord is inviting you to trust Him. He's been at work in the church from the beginning, and in case you haven't noticed, it's always been broken. Always. You, if you read Paul's letters with this lens, you will see that he writes into contexts of dysfunction. It's broken large systemic issues of dysfunction and brokenness like racial animus between Jews and Gentiles large problems of sexual deviation and brokenness to individual problems where he actually names names of individuals who are in conflict the church is a mess it's broken and listen God is at work God is at work And so into into all of that, God is inviting all of us together to trust him. To believe that he can redeem hurt and pain. To redeem that he can make dry bones come alive. To believe that he he can restore what locusts have eaten. He's inviting us to trust him to endure alongside the brokenness that exists. The church has always done that. Always. And God continues to invite us as a a body and you as individuals to trust him. To trust him. Even in the midst of very real pain and brokenness. So how can we do that is, is a valuable question. There's a lot of talk. How can we actually do that? Well, fundamentally, I want to suggest to you that endurance in the Christian life is not about gritting your teeth. Now, it does require discipline, holding fast, forsaking evil, doing good, for sure. But what, what provides the fuel or the motivation for endurance? What provides the fuel? Because if it's up to my will, my will is going to break. I'm pretty willful, but eventually it's going to break. So it can't be that. The answer is intimacy with God. Intimacy with God provides fuel for motivation, excuse me, for endurance. Intimacy with the Lord that highlights His beauty, that reveals His mercy, that shows His grace, that puts His kindness in the foreground so we can see it. When we have greater intimacy with God, our affections for Him grow. In other words, when you see him for who he is, you pursue him like that, your love for him grows. In this way, intimacy with God begets endurance. But even still, Ryan, how does that work? How can you develop intimacy with God that leads to endurance? Well, we want to stay in Hebrews. If you have your Bible, you can flip over to Hebrews 12 briefly. We'll pick it up in verse 2. The author of Hebrews says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Your endurance relies totally on his endurance. On his endurance. When you look to him, you see him. Push deeper into the truths of what he did for you on the cross. That's what, that's what the author of Hebrews is telling us, that Jesus with joy endured the cross for what? For us. For you. When we push deeper into that truth, listen, if you're a believer, you've heard that before. Yeah, Jesus died for me, check. The truth of the matter is there is an ocean of reality underneath that statement that you couldn't explore you couldn't find the end if you spent every waking minute of your life for the next however long you've got you wouldn't exhaust that that well that jesus endured the cross for you and for me that in his life and death and resurrection he has provided in such a way that we can endure that we can endure So we want to look to Jesus, actually look to him, find him in his word, worship him together, push deeper into what it means when Paul in Galatians, when summarizing a large section of his argument, says that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. We want to explore that together with great depth and increasing detail. Friends, as clear as I can be, our culture has changed. The world is changing. And in my view, COVID has accelerated much of that change. It will continue to do so. And as it does, it will put increasing pressure on you in all kinds of ways. It will work to get you off of the long road by any means necessary. The author of Hebrews is right when he says, You will need endurance. Friends, we will need endurance. And I want to I want to also suggest that he gives us great and clear insight into how that endurance works. What motivates it? What is the fuel for it? Hebrews 12, 2, pushing to see Jesus with greater and greater and greater clarity, deeper and deeper into the truths of God, what he accomplished for you on the cross. When we do that, friends, our love for him increases, which is like fuel for endurance. Because we have to see with new eyes, we've got to see that we are on a dangerous journey together. And together, we can, we can go until the Lord calls us home or until he comes back. But apart, apart, the dangers are too great. They're too many. This is why in the story, in Pilgrim's Progress, God sends Christian companions to help him along the road. As we sit here now, these are the companions that God has given you along the road. Let's pray. Hebrews 10.36 together real quick. Father, you have told us in your word that we will have need for endurance. The author of Hebrews tells us. Jesus, you have provided us with the fuel for endurance because you endured the cross for us. Spirit, apply that truth to our lives. Amen.
3: I am uh, so touched uh, by the Lord here as I listen to these men talk tonight. Uh, What keeps coming to my mind is how the Lord has given you these men for this moment. And I'm thankful for the privilege to serve alongside them uh, tonight and as we move forward together. I remember As many of you do remember the week, that third week of March, second, third week of March, when we began to hear about this novel virus. Uh, We didn't know what to call it right off the bat. You know, it was kind of 50-50. Some called it COVID-19, some called it coronavirus. We were trying to figure out what the nature of it was, the seriousness of it, and uh, as you know, we as a church decided to, uh, at that time, uh, shut things down. And um, I began to immediately feel, and I know John would attest to this because we were talking a lot, we began to feel the, the fog of the moment begin to fill the, the sort of cultural consciousness, right? I mean, it was just quickly, uh, things began to get very confusing and challenging, and it began to get difficult to know how to respond, but we as a church uh, did the best that we could to try to work, uh, excuse me, walk in the manner uh, worthy of the the calling that we've been given. And I want to uh, just uh, as a means of being transparent with you, know that uh, your elders and your leaders have attempted to do that uh, through the duration of the fog that in many ways Uh, is still among us. But as you've heard these men say, and and as I close this out tonight, um, we are also saying that though the fog may be uh, around us, uh, we are desiring to begin to move out of that fog. Uh, We are intending to lovingly give direction to this church in a way that would allow us to become that shining city on a hill that pierces through that fog. And we are continuing to ask ourselves, what does it mean for us as a church to walk in a manner worthy of a calling that you and I have been called to by God? The elders believe that this moment that we find ourselves in is unlike anything that we have ever seen in the history of the church. And I actually feel like I've said that multiple times over the last... 18 months or so Um, but it continues to be true and I believe that we as a church and you've heard these men speak to this as well uh, we are being put to the test right now what do I mean by that I believe that the Lord is asking our hearts will we be faithful will we gather Will we endure, will we be dedicated to this local body? Will we work together to be united and for us to believe in love all things towards one another? Or maybe I could say it this way, despite our differences in this moment, will our attitude moving forward be one in which what is promoted is unity. So what should our posture be as we think about this idea of unity in the local church? Paul actually gives us some help in one of the books that he wrote in Ephesians 4. Let me just read that for us. Here's what he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. First, Paul says this, we are to be humble to maintain the unity of the Spirit. What would be the inverse of that? What what are the things that would work against the kind of humility that you and I are to have. Pride, disrespect for others in our own body, selfishness, right? But what would be a practical outworking of humility as we engage with one another, particularly in a time where there's different thoughts and opinions about things? Respect, respect, even in disagreement. There has to be a way for for you and I, friends, to be able to talk to one another respectfully, though we may not agree. Next, Paul says that we must be gentle and patient, bearing with one another to maintain the unity of the Spirit. What would be the inverse of that? What would be the kinds of things that, that work against those things building up unity in the Spirit? Judgment. Judging our brother and sister, accusing our brother and sister, being suspicious of a brother or sister, impugning motives of a brother or sister. And by the way, these things can happen outwardly. Uh, you, You might see this happening outwardly on places like social media, but friends, it's just as dangerous on the inside and I wanna be transparent with you tonight, I am having to actively fight some of these things myself. We, We up here are no saints. We're having to battle just like you are to not allow the enemy a foothold into what we want to see the Lord do here and that is bring us together in unity. So one of the things that I want you to think about is that in the days to come, as you interact with one another, there is likely going to be disagreement. So what happens? Sometimes the way in which we disagree, we hurt our brother and sister. That is not good. So what are the ways that we are gentle and patient as we realize that, bearing uh, bearing with one another in love as we realize that and we say, you know what, I am sorry for that. Will you forgive me? for hurting you in that way. The the practical outworking of gentleness and patience is is a merciful spirit. And friends, we are gonna need a merciful spirit in the days to come. But there's another thing that I think is really important for us to consider as we think about being gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love, and it's the idea practical outworking, the idea of, of charity. What does it mean for us to be charitable towards one another. Well, what I mean by that is charitable towards those who have a different idea about X, whatever the subject is. I know that some of what we've talked about tonight is related to COVID, but you could put anything in that spot, right? You heard Ryan mention, and I think John mentioned some of them, like racial harmony, politics, just how do you engage in culture, whatever it may be you and I have to fight for charity in those discussions. So, here at Mercy View, your leaders are growing in our understanding of what this means. Uh, and so, uh, we, I just wanna share with you uh, a little bit of, of our thinking as it relates to what charity looks like in, in real time. Um, we believe that as your leaders, and then we wanna call you all as partners to this as well, that we are actually not called to demand a certain conscientious outcome from one another. Paul makes this clear in places like Romans 14. In fact, the way that Paul talks about it in Romans 14 is to say that to do so, to, to demand that from someone else may cause a brother or sister to sin. Whether their perspective is right or wrong or you believe their perspective is right or wrong. Scripture calls us to love others through our disagreements and not bind consciousnesses into a decision that they can't make at this time. Now you can seek to persuade, but we should never tell one another that they do not love their neighbor if they don't do X. That is a very truncated and narrow vision of the idea of loving your neighbor. In short, because of that idea, we want to encourage you to remember what is in the category of neighbor. What is in the category of neighbor is all of us. And so when we look at teaching from Romans 14 and 15, even some established Protestant teaching in documents such as the Second London Confession or Westminster Standards, the Christian is free to engage or not engage in various aspects of culture so long as his or her conscience has not been seared by sin and is not actively breaking the law of God. Now listen, we should do well to learn how to best serve and to love those among us, but I also want us to, as we move forward, to keep in tension this idea as well. I wonder, actually, if for some of us who are struggling with this idea, it is because we as a church have done a poor job with talking about it. Here's what we have to pursue. If you and I disagree on how to do X, I must trust that your convictions are driven by a sincere conscience. And, this is important, I must assume that there lies within you no lack of love for your neighbor or your brother and sister in Christ. The reality is this church body, and this, we see this in the scriptures in other places, we are all a unique blend of experiences, vulnerabilities, preferences, tendencies, talents, gifts. There will be differences in how we think about things. It's how we disagree that matters charity must be a part of the posture. So really, as I think about our responsibility as leaders, uh, what we want to do as we move forward is to the best of our ability to protect the spectrum of conviction and conscience among us here at Mercyview, despite our own personal preferences, whatever those may be, while doing what we're getting ready to talk about here in just a moment, and we recognize that the implications of this is that every decision point presents a trade-off of some kind between many times multiple good and reasonable things. So please know that we have humbly labored on your behalf for many hours on this subject in good faith, informed by prayer, trying our best to arrive at a decision which or decisions, I should say, that we recognize that some in our body might disagree with. We have had to make decisions in this fog with limited sight lines, uncertainty, incomplete and constantly shifting information. But our heart for you is that we are pressing into that to serve you as best as we can to do what we're talking about right here. And so I wanna say to you, on behalf of our elders, thank you for your patience, thank you for your questions. Your questions sharpen us as we make decisions. Thank you for your forbearance towards us if you do disagree. And most of all, thank you for your prayers and we would covet those as we move forward. Next, Paul says that we must be loving to maintain the unity of the spirit. What would work against that? Uh, A sense of superiority right, a a sense of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is whenever we think what we think is right and everybody else is wrong, right? So what would be the practical outworking of love, okay? So let me just say this because we've been asked this. Uh, Has something changed as we think about what it means for us to love our our neighbor? And in, in some ways, the answer to that is no. Nothing has changed, but, but maybe to be fair, to say it this way is we have um, uh, gained some additional perspective about what we believe love looks like uh, in this moment that we find ourselves in. And so first I would just wanna say this. We recognize that there are those among us who are high risk and vulnerable and our heart as leaders here at Mercy View, we want to continue to be thoughtful, and creative, and reasonable, as we seek to serve those among us who are in that category, while working at the same time to bring as many people together, in person, to do the things that you just heard these men talk about, being faithful, and gathering together and enduring together love is a two-way street we talk about this when we think about marriage right love is a two-way street so my expectation to be loved is only as good as my ability to love you and so as we move forward in love we we just we need to work really hard with the lord's help to ask ourselves Am I loving the neighbor among me here at Mercy View in the same way that I would want to be loved? Lastly, he says, we must be eager to maintain the unity of of the spirit. He talks about the bond of of peace. That means you and I, we need to, as Ryan said, this, this is a turning of the page tonight. Some of you here this evening, I would pray all of you here this evening, would say, I'm with you guys, I'm in and there would be enthusiasm and optimism and eagerness to maintain the unity of the spirit but as we do that among that eagerness we want to continue to be peacemakers to be peaceful we want to reject factionism if that makes sense that there's, uh, you put yourself in a category and you put someone else in another category or you will only interact with a certain category and not interact with another category. We have to work uh, against factionism, segregation in that way. And I think as we do that, the the practical outworking for us is that we respect one another. Particularly on uh, second and third order issues. The irony is that much of the debate on COVID and health decisions fall in the second and third order issues right now, and we, we're having a hard time, and I say we just collectively as a culture, as a church, trying to figure out where does that fit? In fact, there's a great article by Andrew Walker, I'd encourage you to read called, Is This a Sin? Ethical Triage and Church Discipline, and he kind of walks through some of that, it's helped inform some of our thinking. But the last thing that I would say, one of the ways that you and I are peacemakers is that we are missional. And so, one of the questions I want us to consider as we think about gathering together with other people as we move forward is are our gatherings, whether those are D groups or missional communities or, or, or worship gatherings, porous? And what I mean by that is are they welcoming to those who are different than you? Are they. Are they able to uh, welcome someone who has a different perspective about something than you? Again, we've gotta think about this and and, and work towards, again, unity, and, and think about how that might affect the ways in which we gather together and consciously work against that. Before we close, let me just remind you what unity isn't. Unity does not mean unanimity where everyone shares the same opinion or preferences or perspectives. It's also not uniformity, right? Where everyone is expected to be the same. Unity means that despite our differences, we choose these qualities in Ephesians 4, one through seven over our differences, particularly on second and third order issues. See, Paul is trying to help us live as Christians together by being a realist. And we're being pushed on this right now, big time. So the question again for us is where I started, how are we gonna respond? Paul is trying to say there is a way to take this unique blend of experiences and vulnerabilities and preferences and tendencies and value something more than those things. That doesn't mean that we don't have to work through difficult conversations. But he's saying that as we discover those, those differences or opinions, we should be valuing the person across from us more. In fact, he is saying that these differences are being highlighted likely for our good. They aren't necessarily negative. There was an article that came out last year by Costi Hinn, who yes, is related to Benny Hinn, but there's totally different theology there, I promise you. Costi Hinn, and he said this, as the spiral of opinion leads you downward, you must formulate a game plan that takes you upward. It's okay to be different. To have a healthy family, a healthy team, and a healthy church, these differences, excuse me, healthy church, there must be room for different opinions and experiences. These differences often stretch us and help us grow together and learn from each other. We need to respect one another and realize that everyone is navigating a new frontier. A healthy relational ecosystem allows for different and even leverages it to help make us or help make decisions. You see what Costi is saying? Man, I, when I read that, I think of, of discussions that these men have had, we've had. I believe that the Lord is using even the differences as we think about this and how to respond. He's helping us leverage it to make the best decisions that we can for our, our church. Let me just close with this. This is another quote from that same article. Costi says, "Preserving valuable relationships and developing healthy teams, churches, and families is more important than winning arguments or being right." When the crisis begins to wind down, and I, you know it's interesting when he wrote this, uh, in some ways it's still wound up. Right? He says there will be plenty of people who got some things right, and plenty of people who got some things wrong. There will be those who blew things out of proportion and those who didn't take things as seriously as they should have. But what will it matter if when we come back together, we are only together socially distant? Again, not because of a virus, but because of our inability to love others who approach, again, put whatever you want in that category, differently than we do. Friends, the unity of the Spirit is a work of the Spirit, so we have to rely on Him. But the good news and the promise of Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, is that the Spirit can and will unite a diverse body together for the glory of God.